This is episode 5 of Cinescope, and this isn't usual, Mr. Pendleton. This is history. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today are Will Dodson and Ian Crabb to talk about one of our favorite films, Lincoln. How are you guys doing? Doing good. So glad to be on your show, man. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, man. I'm glad to have both of you here. So how about one at a time you sort of introduce yourselves and tell us where you came from and how I know you and how you know me and all that good stuff. I'll let Mr. Dodson go first there. Well, I'm a, uh, I'm a composer for film, television, and media, and I'm also uh, the senior producer and host of Sideshow Sound Radio. And uh, we know Chad, well, I know Chad, through uh, Sideshow. Chad's been on our show a few times. Uh, he sent us clips and things like that. He's actually taken Ian to task on Sideshow and Tell, which was a oh, joy yes. to listen to. Oh, thanks, Will. <laughs> That's fair enough. I invited it. It was my own fault. Yes. So how about you, Ian? Uh, well, hello, Internet. Uh, yes, I mean, um, I, I'm uh, nowhere near as, as impressive as Will. I'm just a bit of an idiot who's dabbled in all sorts of media. I'm an independent writer where I, I cover all things media and written form, be it articles, interviews, whatever. But now I'm very graciously been invited into the Sideshow Sound Radio podcast. And on that show, I'm the resident news monkey, where I sometimes am lucky enough to get audio interviews with folk as well. And I present a show on there called In Defense Of and pop up here and then when they need me on other shows. And yes, we also know Chad from uh, him taking me to task. <laughs> <laughs> so um, briefly go over what is Sideshow Sound Radio? It's a whirling dervish of, of supreme brilliance. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Maybe your show is. Maybe your show is. My, mine, not so much. <laughs> well, I think Will could probably handle this. I, would, I mean, it, it, I, it's a show that's dedicated to the world of uh, film music, composers, and I dabble a bit in, in movie news, but it, it celebrates film music, and sometimes we do shows that don't necessarily celebrate it, but not critique it, but sort of go over what we like and don't like, and I'm sure Will can can phrase it much better than me but yes it's mainly about about film music i would say yeah it's it's uh well it's a celebration of film music it's where we talk about the soundtracks we love and why we love them and of course we've branched off into uh, a disney show called mouse music um in defense of which was kind of the brainchild of ian and myself where we uh we would take a film that we feel hasn't gotten a fair shake and we spend an hour plus defending it and trying to get people to uh, give it another chance Sometimes with mixed results, but hopefully always entertaining, <laughs> regardless of whether or not we convince anyone. So, uh, yeah, and that's all actually branched off of uh, SideshowSoundTheater.com, which was launched by Wendell Jones and myself about four or five years ago, where we basically started as a composing duo who composed Halloween music every year. And we're uh, currently working on our fifth album as we speak. So that's basically Sideshow in a nutshell. It's uh, a very strange entity. <laughs> It's a very fun show, and uh, I listen to all the podcasts I have for about two years now. Awesome, man. And uh, you mentioned I've contributed a couple times, but this is actually our first time speaking voice-to-voice. Uh, -voice. It is. <laughs> so uh, I'm excited to record this show with you guys. No, that, that's true, actually, because uh, you have sent me quite a few audio files, because um, I invite people, if I get something wrong, which I very often do on the new show, to say, you know, just take me to task on it and uh, you're always the first one in line and i really appreciate that because <laughs> no, in all seriousness the um 
the, the listener interaction, and especially with people like yourself, who are not just listeners, but good friends of the show, and damn nice people, it, it makes for better shows if you can get more people involved, and that's what we, we love about the shows. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I just like giving you a hard time, Ian. I, I love the show. And, hey, I'm an easy uh, target. I'll take it. <laughs> Speaking of listener interaction, quick shout out to a new review on iTunes. That's uh, Mock Chagrin, or however you pronounce that. I'm sorry. That makes our 10th review on iTunes, which is awesome. Uh, please consider going to iTunes, rating, reviewing the show, helping us to get to that new and noteworthy page on the film TV category. Big help to the show. Help us find more listeners and uh, grow a little bit. And with all of that, how about we move on to our movie discussion? Let's do Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so this week we are talking about Lincoln. It was released on November 9th of 2012 and was directed by the Steven Spielberg. Just a few of his films, there's Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and other Indiana Jones films, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, Saving Private Ryan, War Horse, BFG. Quite a filmography. Oh, I was going to say he's struggling, isn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's having problem finding work, I'm sure. Yeah, that, that kid just needs that big break. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was written by Tony Kushner, and the music was by one of our favorites, John Williams. Yes. For his filmography, see Spielberg's filmography, plus Star Wars, the first three Harry Potter movies, and several other outstanding film scores. Indeed. This movie stars Daniel Day-Lewis, Sally Field, Tommy Lee Jones, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, David Strathairn, and James Spader. Okay, first experiences, guys. What was your first time seeing the movie like? Ian, how about you go first? Okay, um, well, I'm the first time I saw this, I'm ashamed to say I'd missed this in theatres. I was desperate to, to see it on the big screen because I'm just a huge movie geek. And usually it was around the sort of time, 2012, where me and my friends would make a a weekly cinema trip every Friday night to go and see the big new release. But uh, unfortunately, at that time, everyone was sort of moving to new jobs, moving away, having families and stuff. So I wasn't going to the cinema very much. So I actually, the first time I caught it was on um, uh, Sky Movies in HD when I was um, home just after the holidays uh, with my family. And uh, so you've got like relatives there, aunts and uncles, young cousins, and no one knew what to put on. And I saw that that was on Sky Movies. And I thought, well, it's... I wanted to see it desperately, but I didn't really think it was a holiday film to put on you know a two and a half plus hour film about slavery i didn't think that was really the holiday spirit right um, but uh eventually they all either had far too much food or drink and sort of passed out and i, I saw my chance and leapt at it and uh one by one as i was about to put it on they all they all woke up and i have to say every there was about six or seven of my family in the room at the time we all lapped it up um especially me and we all agreed that it was superb very very powerful um but my family are not so much a movie geek as me i mean they usually have very good taste but for example my mother will watch anything with kate hudson in and that's not a slight on kate hudson that's fine there's a demographic <laughs> for that but uh not necessarily i'm not in it but normally i think we can all agree if you just say to anyone the words do you want to see the new steven spielberg film we'll seal the deal Yes, usually. And, yeah. <laughs> um, that's all you have to say, really. And uh, and it was amazing. Yeah, we all just sat and watched it from from beginning to end. And, uh, and also for a film that it is notoriously long, um, maybe not by today's standards. I guess the last two Transformers films have been longer than this because it's only it's pretty much dead on two and a half hours, isn't it, Lincoln? Yeah, yeah. I think um, so. Exactly. I think it's like two hours and twenty four minutes or something like that. Yeah, and. Uh, 
Transformers films these days are like three hours, but uh, but it it was at the time a long film, and it's a political film, and it can be very wordy in places, but um, we all felt, and I especially felt, that it was entirely engrossing, very challenging, and also enjoyable, because when you say... When you say something's challenging, you make it sound like it's a hard slog to get through, but I thought this film flew by. I didn't even notice the running time, because the character work, which Spielberg is so good at, the music, which obviously Williams is a maestro at, and the performances, were just it, you were just absolutely enveloped in this this world. And the fact that you know it's based on a, on real events and a real person, and this actually happened in history meant you couldn't take it quite so lightly. You couldn't say, oh, this is just a boring courtroom drama because this is an important story. So, yeah, we all we all absolutely lapped it up. So it was, I'm almost glad I didn't see it in the theatres with a bunch of strangers. I'm, it was just a very happenstance moment where it happened to be just after the holidays and I said, all right, I'm going to put this on. And then everyone suddenly woke up and we watched the whole thing beginning to end and loved it. Awesome. What about you, Will? Well, I missed it when it was in theaters, um, which I'm, I'm very ashamed to say, but I was really busy when it came out. However, I did buy the soundtrack, uh, Sight Unseen or Sound Unheard or whatever you want to say it, uh, because it was obviously a John Williams score. It was coming from a Spielberg film. It was about my favorite uh, U.S. president. I think I speak for a lot of Americans when I say that uh, Lincoln is a legend. Legend actually doesn't even seem to to really cover what Lincoln is in American history. I missed the film, but I knew, always knew that I was going to pick it up on Blu-ray, which of course I did the second that came out, uh, the following, I believe spring is when the Blu-ray actually came out. And, uh, I just took the night off, sat down, put it in my Blu-ray player, and I was captivated from the second this film began. Um, it is, I'm going to try so hard to not be hyperbolic on this, <laughs> on this show, because, I, and anyone who's ever heard any shows I'm on know that I'm no stranger to hyperbole when I love something, but, there are very few films that I love as much as Lincoln. And, uh, I honestly think this may be my favorite film of the last five years. In fact, I don't even think it's a question. It's a masterpiece, an absolute undeniable masterpiece. I think the casting is unbelievable. I mean, this ensemble cast might be the most underrated ensemble cast. And I know you've got Oscar winners. You've got obviously Daniel Day Lewis and you've got Tommy Lee Jones and Sally, Sally Field and all these people, but you don't quite realize how great they are until you rewatch the film. You kind of forget how sort of perfectly cast everyone is. I mean, and, and it's not just one role. It's everything from Tommy Lee Jones as Thaddeus Stevens to, you know, to obviously, uh, like I said, Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, he's obviously the big one. And we'll get into him more, I'm sure. But yeah, I was captivated from the second I began watching it. I found the portrayals to be complicated and fascinating. Those are the only two words I can really use to describe how how Spielberg tells this story and it is historically accurate down to things like the wallpaper in the, in the theater box where Lincoln is watching the play down to the way his office looked, you know, things like that. I mean, the attention to detail and the authenticity that Steven Spielberg put into this film is remarkable to say the least. Agreed on all accounts. So for me, I knew Daniel Day-Lewis ahead of this movie only by reputation, and I knew he was this quote-unquote method actor. Nowadays, that means that Jared Leto is just a jerk to everybody on set. But uh, with Daniel Day-Lewis, it means that he's absorbed into his craft. And man, the fact that he was starring as Lincoln and the fact that we were getting a rare John Williams score now that he's later in life and isn't popping them out every year, 
it was a huge draw for me. And of course, it's a Steven Spielberg film. So I did see this in theaters. Uh, went to a late showing one night uh, with my best friend, his girlfriend. And even at the end of a long day of classes and this two and a half hour movie running past midnight, I was engrossed the entire time. It's such a palatable movie, despite its subject matter, I think. Yeah. It really sort of simplifies the political process without ruining the integrity of it. And it alternately makes me feel like remorse and anger and sadness and joy and pride and patriotism. There's just so much of this movie that I walk away with and experience while watching it. And over the years, I've watched it a couple more times. And no matter how many times I watch it, it, it remains as engrossing as it was the first time. And it's it's really genius of Spielberg and company and Tony Kushner as a screenwriter to focus on just the select period of time in Lincoln's life rather than trying to be all-encompassing of his entire term or two terms. I have to say, I, I was really glad about that, that it just focused on one chapter, this very specific chapter, and possibly the most important chapter. It wasn't how he became president or how he came through the ranks as, as a lawyer. It was just this one moment in his life. Yeah, and it may, we can start moving on to story a little bit with this, but uh, it really gives the film more purpose, I think, by narrowing its focus. It focuses on the specific moment in time, the specific passage, the specific amendment that he's trying to pass, and that automatically gives it a purpose. He's trying to pass the 13th Amendment. So with that, we see his struggle morally against slavery and doing the right thing by trying to find peace with the South and his conflict between work and trying to spend time with his family and mourn the loss of his son of three years. And all this stuff is balanced perfectly by narrowing the window of focus. Absolutely agree. And the way in which the story, uh, the, the way that, that they tell the story of the passing of the 13th Amendment, and you always have the specter of the Civil War kind of going on, and there's this kind of back and forth that Lincoln has to go through. You know, he he has an obligation to do everything he can to end the war, but he wants his legacy, and more than his legacy, I think he's he's doing it because it's the right thing to do. But to abolish slavery, to him, it's a no-brainer. We have to abolish slavery. It's it's up to us to abolish it. It should have never been a thing in the first place. And this film does a really good job, and you just mentioned it, of it doesn't simplify the political dealings or dumb it down in any way, but it definitely makes it, I guess, understandable for those who who may not understand American politics or you know, the art of, of wheeling and dealing and, and, and the, the sort of hurdles that any president has to leap over to make anything happen. I think this film does an incredible job of showing us that. And it, it never becomes preachy either. You know, it never becomes, well, two things it never becomes is preachy or sentimental. You know, it, it stays away from both of them. So every moment that kind of pulls at your heartstrings is 100% earned by the narrative and the acting and the music and the, and the storytelling. Yeah. And, you mentioned that it doesn't dumb anything down, and it's completely honest with the politics of the film as well. Yeah. Um, it shows the sort of under-the-table bribing. It shows the the compromises and the sacrifices that have to be made. And it shows the arguing that happens in the case of the, the House of Representatives, I should specify. It's all very authentic. You talked about that earlier. It's so authentic. And yes, certainly some of it's probably going to be a little bit sugar-coated, but... None of it's presented as simple. It's always complex without being hard to understand or follow. Yeah, and they and they don't try to hide the fact that Lincoln wasn't perfect either. 
they certainly represent him in the best light, but this was a complicated man. You know, he wasn't a bad person by any means, but they don't, they don't sort of prop him up on a, on, on a pedestal higher than, than what he was. And I love that. You know, I, I love that they show the real conflict between him and his wife and, and how she, she blames him for certain things for not being there for her when, when their son died and, and how, you know, he's not doing enough to keep their, their oldest son from entering the army and possibly dying in that conflict and, and all of these different things. I love the way the film tells that story. Yeah, I thought that was a nice, a nice dichotomy as well, actually. Just picking up on what you said, Will, about it doesn't portray him as a perfect man. I mean, for me, and I think this might have been obviously down to Spielberg, but the performance by Day-Lewis is for a president who was seemingly trying to rush to try and get this amendment through in a certain couple of weeks so he could get a, you know, a, a ceasefire. As an actual person, he moves very slowly and mm-hmm. he talks very thoughtfully and doesn't seem to rush as a person, which I thought was a brilliant contrast to the fact that everyone around him is saying, we've got to get this done in the next couple of weeks. And he's just being almost very sluggish in his movements and thoughts about it. To the point where he'll even, he'll even, you know, stop what they're talking about to tell a story or tell a joke. You know, that really frustrated me at one point. Um, <laughs> it's me too, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's about two thirds of the way through when he's in the war room. Yeah. And you don't even know he's there until he shouts something and he turns around and he's there with a, a robe on and a cup of coffee. Come on out, you old rat! His <laughs> <laughs> actually storms out and says, oh, you're going to tell another story, aren't I you? I it. can't listen to another one of your stories. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to say about the story before we do move on to characters, unless you guys have something else. Story-wise, I, I just wanted to bring up, because I, as, a, as a Brit, it's, it's a bit hard for me to judge you know, this film on its accuracy. You guys have, have said that it is very, very accurate. But because this is not my history, you know, obviously I've read about it and it is a it is a dramatization, but it's a bit like if I was asking you guys to judge a film about Churchill, you know, even though we each read about the other's history. So I could only sort of view it as a dramatic piece of film, even though I know the sort of the bullet points of what actually happened. But viewing it as a dramatic piece of film, I, I absolutely loved it. You have to be willing to be engaged and challenged. But boy, does it pay off. I mean, the very first opening shot is 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 battlefield, and it's horrible battlefield. It's the sort of battle scene that you had to wait about twenty five minutes in Saving Private Ryan for. I was going to say it's it's as brutal as Saving Private Ryan, but you don't have to wait for it. the The logo's finished. It says Lincoln, and the first shot is people stabbing each other. Well, they want they they want to show you the stakes. You know, it, it does a really good job in that in that sense. Where you know, right off the bat, this is what's going on. This is what's at stake. These are who are fighting. You know, uh, and I think it was a it was a conscious effort on Spielberg's part to show you know black people are fighting this war for the United States or well, for the North at least. You know, and and black people in the South are fighting for the South. But it has to show us that you know in order yeah. to. I think, uh, give us that sort of context moving forward, you know? And it's not even really a Civil War film. I mean, that's the background of it. It's a bit like saying, it, you know, War Horse isn't really about the war. It's about a boy and the horse. And uh, Jaws isn't really about a shark. Those are just the backdrops. It's about the characters and the performances and the story. And what really struck me, again, as I said, as an outside spectator, you know, a British person, I didn't live with this history. I mean, none of us live with this history. I know we're old, but we're not that old. Uh, <laughs> Is that it, it struck me that much like today, even the, you know, today, even the, the white rich are more than willing to let, you know, African Americans fight and die for them, but not have equality and freedom in certain aspects of life. 
And that's what really struck with me story-wise. Yeah, and that's the so the central conflict of the movie is what's near and dear to my heart. It, there, there are times in this movie where somebody on the Democratic side of things will say something incredibly racist. And I, like, I, I, I felt literal physical anger yeah, me too. while watching this movie at some points. And likewise, on the other side of things, there were times when I was moved to tears because I was witnessing, I felt like I was sitting there witnessing history happen and yes. the right side of history happen. Mm -hmm. And it this film really draws you in in that way where you, you feel like you're present for one of the most important parts of this country's history. And not only that, the portrayal of the passage of the 13th Amendment when that finally happens... I think a lesser director would have given that moment in the film far more sort of pomp and sentimental circumstance and, you know, uh, and a lesser composer may have done, you know, a, a far more romantic cue, you know, with big sweeping strings and all that. But I love the restraint that Spielberg and Williams and pretty much everyone involved in this production have, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a very mature telling of this story. And, you know, by the time you get there, you feel like you've earned it. You know, you feel like, Man, look at what these guys have had to do to get this thing passed. It's been unbelievable. I mean, they've had to basically do illegal stuff to get the votes necessary to make this amendment pass. And then you see these people who don't want to see it passed and you and you see the dissension within the Republican Party and you see the you know, the wheeling and dealing that's going on within that same party where, you know, even members of his own party are, are, you know, working against him or at least talking against him. You know, that great scene where Thaddeus Stevens is talking to Republicans and and I believe he says, uh, you know, Lincoln has asked for our help in abolishing slavery. He says, retain even in opposition your capacity for astonishment. <laughs> and I love that. It's probably my favorite line delivery in the whole film uh, delivered by Tommy Lee Jones. It's really, really great. And you know, the, this moment, this this film is filled with moments like this. Just to pick up on that, I will say this. Spielberg, the genius that he is, he shoots courtroom scenes like anyone else would shoot an action scene. Yes, he does. <laughs> I mean, considering it's just a bunch of very old people in a room talking, the way he blocks it and orchestrates it and shoots it and gets the performances out it's every bit as compelling as any of the fight scenes in Saving Private Ryan and and he did the same <laughs> thing with Amistad as well which is the closest thing I think he's made to Lincoln. I was more excited by the courtroom or the I'm sorry the senate drama you know the the delegation drama I guess if you will more excited by that in this film than I have been for almost any action sequence in any blockbuster I've seen in the last three or four years. Almost. I mean, of course, you know, we've got The Force Awakens and all that stuff, you know, which is great. But I just mean it's that captivating. It's that interesting and that exciting. But you expect it in The Force Awakens because it's a big space saga and there's, mm -hmm. you know, spaceships and lightsabers and blaster guns. But in a courtroom scene, the way he does it is so frenetic and engaging. It almost like makes you sit back in your chair and go, whoa, you know, this is one of the most thrilling scenes I've ever seen. And it's just people talking. Exactly. He's a master at that. Yeah, and in that sense, even though it's not an action film, it's just as captivating and there's just as much energy here as there would be in an action film. You just have to sort of be open to the different approach here. And also Spielberg isn't afraid to slow it down at times. Um, he's obviously a master, as I said, but there's so many directors out there today that, um, or even maybe from the same era as Spielberg, that are afraid to let the action just sit. There's good sequences in this film that are about four or five minutes long. And the camera doesn't even push in to do that subliminal thing where you're being drawn into the action. It just sits there completely stationary and watches people act. And they're silent. There's no score in them as well. He's willing to just let the actors act and tell the story. 
And speaking of that, let's go ahead and transition into our character segment. So mm-hmm. elephant in the room, let's just start with Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> For me, the closest example I can think of, and this is going to seem strange at first, but Heath Ledger is the Joker. When I, I watch Heath Ledger as the Joker, I don't see an actor playing yes. a character. I, I see the Joker. It's so hard for me to imagine that there is a, a person being paid to put on this performance. I see the Joker when I watch The Dark Knight. And because of that, it makes that character so much more terrifying and engaging and difficult to watch at times. But it's hard to pull away from at the same time. I feel the same way about Daniel Day-Lewis in this movie. It is so hard for me to imagine that that is an actor. That is not, that's not Abraham Lincoln. Are you kidding me? That, that I feel like I'm watching the president of our United States at this time. And it, it's just, it's so amazing what he's able to do in this film. You know, it's down to his mannerisms. It's down to the way he hunches over, you know, his posture is not great and neither was President Lincoln's by all accounts. There was also a lot said about the way uh, President Lincoln walked and he nails that. Things like his, you know, there's this, there's this great, again, I'm trying not to be hyperbolic here, but there's this great sort of sense that there's a great inner strength within this character, this man, while on the outside, there's this almost nervousness, like almost, you know, verging on maybe even socially awkward. Um, but you can kind of see past that in Daniel Day-Lewis's performance and you can see the inner strength. And like Ian said earlier, there's a measured way in which he talks and, and there's a measured way in which he thinks. But you can tell he's almost always fighting himself to try to uh, be more outwardly confident and you know, and, and it's that and also a hundred other things that Daniel Day-Lewis is, does. Uh, Chad, we talked about it before we started recording, but the war room, when he's, you know, trying to do a British accent. Well, this is, of course, a British actor, you know, and he's portraying an American <laughs> doing a terrible job of impersonating a Brit while he's making fun of the Brits that he's taught. You know, it's it's so it's like four or five layers of yeah. uh, of stuff that he's doing just within that scene, you know, and he and. The other thing, and I'll, I'll say this, Chad, I don't know how you feel about this. I, it is very rare that I hear a Brit do a really good English accent. I'm sorry, American accent on film to where, you know, to where you can tell, you, you know, usually it's regionless. It's sort of, you know, stock. Uh, and I'm sure just like when we try to do a British accent, you know, to someone with British ears, I know members of Sideshow tell me to shut up all the time when I do that. You know, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like this is probably the most convincing American accent I've ever heard a Brit pull off in film. And, Oh my God. I just, I can't say enough about Daniel Day Lewis. I really can't. I mean, literally the hype is real with this guy. It really is. It's, it might be the best performance I've ever seen in my life. It really might be. Um, I can't think of anything that comes close save for maybe Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight or God, I don't know, uh, Marlon Brando in The Godfather. I, and even that doesn't even hold a candle to this. I mean, it's, it's a virtuosic, performance it's virtuosic in every sense of the word again hyperbole i apologize no, it's, it's <laughs> absolutely effortless as well and it's uh, completely uh, effortless chad um, going back to what you were saying about um heath ledger and yourself will as well is what i found most astonishing about heath ledger's performance apart from the total you know immersion in the character is something i found as you said that daniel day lewis did here as well it was the voice yeah because the voice that heath invented for the joker was I'd say 50% of the character. Sure was, and the yeah. fact that Daniel Day-Lewis um, chose to go very soft, because you've seen all these parodies of Abraham Lincoln where he's speaking very 
he's speaking low in bass tones and he's well, no, very but that was historically dry. accurate though i mean lincoln had a high-pitched voice yeah yeah, he chose to sort of be very quiet and soft, mm-hmm. and it, it makes you wonder because this this film Lincoln has been a passion project of Spielberg's for years, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was about possibly I don't know maybe five or so years before this film was made. It was in the mid two thousands. Yes, that um, his main choice for Lincoln was Liam Neeson. Right. Which, which you know, from a physical standpoint, Liam Neeson, I I could have definitely seen that, of course, but. Man, I yeah, mean, but now you've seen Day Lewis do it. Can you see? Right. <laughs> Lisa, I mean, Leeson's fantastic. I'm not talking about his recent career with the Taken films, but Chat said it. I th- I don't see Daniel Day Lewis. I feel like I'm watching Abraham Lincoln in real life. I, I mean, it's incredible. And you know something else? The lighting in this film was I I think 90 percent natural sunlight. I mean, I don't if it wasn't. It's a masterful job. I mean, because it looks like they're shooting this thing and the, and the scenes are largely being lit as they would be back in the 1800s, you know, just whatever light's coming in or lamp light. That's what it looks like. I have to add something to that, actually, because this was um, the director of photography and this was Janusz Kaminski, who is obviously, you know, Spielberg's go-to guy. He's done Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, Catch Me If You Can, Minority Report, BFG, Bridge of Spies, Warhorse, Munich, War of the Worlds, <laughs> AI, Amistad. But, and also, it's not a Spielberg film, but The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Kaminsky is an absolute master. He got a bit ridiculed uh, at certain points in his career because he was always doing that smoky sort of backlit thing. But he he's gone for a much more natural tone in his in his color schemes in the last I'd say decade or so. But yes, sorry, I just wanted to point out. I thought he deserved an honorary mention because Janusz Kaminsky is a genius. Oh, for sure. So, sort of wrapping up on Daniel Day Lewis, I, I just want to go back a little bit to what Will was saying and mention his posture. I think he shows. The way I interpreted it was a weariness. Like, I mean, he's he's been leading this country through war for going on four years now, and he he's tired. He's he's lost a son in this time. He's lost countless Americans in this time, and here he is faced with one of the the biggest moments in his presidency, and he doesn't know whether he's going to be successful or not. He's he's tired. He's at one point towards the end of the film, the general says, "You know, you've aged ten years in the last year." He's tired. He's weary he's aching he's I, I don't know you just see it in the way he moves and the way he his face plays but at the same time in his eyes especially you can see this incredible determination the strength that you were talking about will yeah it's it's just amazing he is so complex he's able to show all at the same time the the love he has for both his family and for his country and the sort of conflict he has between doing the right thing legally and morally and it's just Next level performance, Daniel Day-Lewis is superb in this movie. Yeah, and you know, something else that I wanted to mention just real quick, and it's a, it's more of a Spielberg thing, but you know, it's something that I feel is missing from 90% of cinema, and it's all over this film, and it's what I always call the little business. It, it's the little things that the characters are doing that have absolutely nothing to do with what you're watching on screen. Perfect example, Lincoln's sharpening a pencil as he's you know, talking about uh, his time as a as a lawyer in Illinois, representing a woman who was on trial for murdering her husband, and he's he's just sitting there sharpening a pencil, kind of absent-mindedly, while he talks about it, and it gets to the point where he even wipes the shavings off of his leg, and then puts the pencil down. And this is all over any Spielberg film you've ever seen. It's little business things that are going on that add to the naturalistic quality of the scene, and. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis does a really good job of adding that to his performance. Things like, you know, the way he he picks up the coffee pot and pours his coffee as he's telling a story or pulls the shawl over himself, you know, or 
you know, goes and wakes up the, uh, the soldiers to, uh, you know, as he's writing pardons out and things like that. It, it just, that little business adds to the realism of, of the whole thing. I have to stop talking about Daniel Day Lewis because I'll go on for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> what other characters do you guys want to talk about? Oh, uh, for me, it's Thaddeus Stevens portrayed by Lee, Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, for sure. I mean, that was an incredible, possibly again, one of the maybe top five, uh, Tommy Lee Jones performances I've ever seen. Uh, he, he didn't have an easy job in this role. Thaddeus Stevens is obviously on the right side of the conflict. He obviously is very opposed to slavery as we all should be, as they all should have been back in that time. But his reasoning for it, never quite makes him a hero or someone that you could really root for because he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> you know? um, his reasoning is, I'm, I was elected to represent the people, and what I believe is in the people's best interests is to abolish slavery. He never kind of gets up on a soapbox and says slavery is the... Well, he does, actually. I take that back. He does very much get on a soapbox in the middle of the the uh, the hall and, and, and say slavery is a terrible thing, as well he should, but... But his reasoning for his involvement with helping to eradicate slavery is very political and very much in keeping with his duties as an elected official. And I, I thought I thought those layers were really well done by Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, he's just one of many that I could talk about. Oh, I have to agree. There's three people in particular I wanted to talk about um, in this. Well, actually five technically. But uh, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones was, <laughs> I think, my favorite performance. Uh, and my favourite character in this, because he's grumpy, he's a, uh, no pun intended, he is a warhorse, but he's a very formidable force, and with only a glance, I mean, just look at No Country for Old Men, he can make you wither in your seat, as he does with Lee Pace's character in the courtroom. I love that scene, man. Yeah, that was incredible. Sally Fields as Molly, I don't think she got as much recognition as she really deserved. It's a spellbinding performance. I mean, you look at that moment in the uh, the grand reception scene, where one minute she's in William's room and she's a, a broken woman. Yeah. And the next thing, she stood right in the Grand Hall and she's chastising in a very charming and Gentile way, but also a very venomous and spiteful <laughs> way, but not that they can say anything about it, Tom Lee Jones' character and all all the people around. I mean, it's, it's, it's really... She comes across as the heart and the backbone of the Lincoln family. She is. She's the Madam President. I mean, and she really pulls it off. And she takes Tommy Lee Jones apart in that scene. I mean, can you imagine the the skill it takes to do that? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and there's a great line, isn't it, where um, at the end of that speech, doesn't she say something along the lines of sort of like, uh, just know Mr. Stevens, they love him more than they'll ever love you, or something to that effect. And I thought, well, that was the nail in the coffin. And the other, just very quickly, the other three guys I want to talk about is the uh, Spin Doctors. Not the 90s band, <laughs> but uh, uh, Bilbo, Latham and Shell, played by James Spader, uh, John Hawkes and Tim Blake Nelson. I mean, it's a rare light passage in the film when they're going about their sort of almost farcical events to try and, yes, underhandedly and criminally bribe people to uh, to swing their vote. But it's crucial to the story and it's nice to have certain light moments in there and it also shows how effective they are in their med method i think they were a joy to watch definitely I, I i've always liked james spader i haven't seen him in the blacklist yet which i know i need to go do oh, but it's really good man admittedly i've really only seen him in the office and in this movie and i know he's not the most popular character in the office because he came in after steve carell left but i've loved his comedy in that the sort of straightforward sternness of his character and 
here, he's just as direct and he brings just as many laughs around. Those three characters are sort of the comedy relief of the movie, even though Lincoln himself and Tommy Lee Jones, of course, have their moments where they make you chuckle. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many, uh, so many great character actors in here. Um, that opening scene with David Oyelowo as the corporal. I love that scene. I love how he finishes Lincoln's uh, speech. So much weight in that performance and not a lot of screen time either. I think that's really great. I mean, it's so much talent on display here. Lee Pace, um, as I think Fernando, what is his name? Uh, Democratic congressman from New York. That was an electrifying performance, if a little over the top, but I, I wonder if in that case it was pretty appropriate for this guy to be that over the top with his terrible racism and and you know the things that he says about black people it's it's a really spine tingling performance if like i said go, it goes a little over the top well i think courtrooms were worth more theater weren't they in those days it's like our, our house of commons even today over here in, in britain uh, people are saying very little they're just trying to get a rise out of people and perform I think much of this movie actually feels like a play in that way. Isn't Tony Kushner actually a playwright? I'm not entirely sure about that, but I think he might have some background in playwriting anyways. But I just want to reiterate real quick, Tommy Lee Jones. He's probably my second favorite performance in this movie and one of the other characters I wrote down. And I just wanted to mention real quick that uh, he's so strong in his convictions and it's very clear that he's strong in his convictions, but it's because he's strong in his convictions that he is willing to compromise a tiny bit and say what is needed to get the amendment passed. In fact, I wrote down the quote that he says to his fellow radical Republican after that scene in the courtroom. He says, I want the amendment to pass so that the Constitution's first and only mention of slavery is its absolute prohibition. It seems there's very nearly nothing I won't say. Oh, I love it. I love that line. Yeah, because it's a very difficult moment for that character because he basically needs to appear to be I guess backpedaling on his principles, you know, to those other radical Republicans that do support his position. You know, they're looking at him like, oh my God, I can't believe he's saying this. You know, how, how could you, you know, and, and really he's that intelligent and that, that cunning as a politician that he knows this is what I have to say in this moment. I, I, I can't, I'll take the backlash for this. I'll take the heat for saying this, but it needs to be said because this is the only way I can, I can do my part to get this passed. Right. And yeah, it's a great one. And, and also just want to really quickly mention uh, David Straithorn is uh, Secretary of State William H. Seward. Another phenomenal performance, a very uh, grounded performance. He's basically, I, I would say, besides Lincoln himself, the most prominent character in the film. He's in a lot of it. And, and he does a great job. Very weighty performance. Of course, uh, Bruce McGill is Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton. Also a very, very strong, very... Um, principled performance, you know, um, as, as are all these actors. Yeah, basically it comes down to there isn't a bad performance in this movie. Everybody is top of their game, and it's all just so very good. Yeah, totally agree. Oh, real quick, we should mention uh, Kylo Ren himself is in this film, Adam Driver. Right. Yeah, he's Link- Lincoln's telegraph operator. Yeah, I actually tweeted that while watching last night. There are a few small... Oh, Green Goblin as well, in the very first scene, Dane DeHaan and Lucas Haas. Oh, yeah, there's uh, Dane DeHaan... Adam Driver, David Oyelowo, those characters all in small little bit parts that I didn't remember were in this movie until rewatching last night. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And also Jared Harris as uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Again, I always forget he's in this and I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, and he he delivers a a phenomenal performance. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on to music. And I'm sure we'll spend a few minutes on this just because we've got a composer in our midst and both of you talk about film scores all the time. So I'll start off. 
this is probably in my top five, maybe higher, John Williams scores. And wow. gr- granted, with John Williams, it's difficult because he does so many genre films. And so if I was being probably 100% honest and I was including everything from sci-fi, from fantasy, from Star Wars to Indiana Jones to all that, maybe this wouldn't make my top five. But if I'm discerning and I'm trying to pick from this genre and this genre and be inclusive of everything, yes, Lincoln is probably in my top five. It's just, when I listen to the score, it feels like, this is like the corniest thing, it sounds like America. Mm -hmm. It does. I don't mean that in the, the, the pompousness of America. This sounds like the pride of America. This sounds like the way America should be. This is pride in our country without putting anybody else down because that's sort of the point of this movie is we're trying to find everybody equal and the score is high on intimacy and patriotism and emotion and even there's some fun you know it's it's just a personal score and so much of it is actually solo oriented rather than these big set pieces of score moments it's it's you've got a clarinet solo here you've got a trumpet solo a horn solo piano solo even it's a very small chamber sort of setting for much of the score but there are those moments when the orchestra really just sweeps you away and draws you in and it's so good i love this score yeah i think we have to mention lincoln's theme which is also known as with malice toward none the name of which uh, refers to the second inaugural speech lincoln gave after he was reelected in 1864 and it's really the most prominent theme in the film and on the soundtrack release it appears in the tracks the american process Uh, The track, With Malice Toward None, Freedom's Call, The Peterson House, and Finale, and another track called With Malice Toward None, uh, brackets piano solo. And it's almost hymn-like in nearly every presentation Williams gives it throughout the film, and it says so much about Lincoln the man. It's such a great theme and so simple. Really, really simple. Um, Another cue that I I think uh, definitely needs mentioning is uh, the purpose of the amendment. Um, The first 40 seconds of this cue actually feature a single clarinet and a single bassoon in this very beautiful, subdued, almost noble arrangement. It's actually really indicative of the approach that Williams largely takes in Lincoln. He's so careful to keep the score as minimal as possible, and he's very sensitive to the naturalistic way of storytelling that Spielberg is utilizing. And it's an approach that I, I found myself really admiring as I watched this film again, Because when you combine that with the natural lighting of the film, the long dialogue scenes that don't cut very often, the uh, effortless realism of the ensemble cast with John Williams' score, it's so, so effective. But the one cue that I think really calls attention to itself uh, in Lincoln is the track Getting Out the Vote, which is my favorite cue on the soundtrack. Yeah, I picked that one, yeah. Yeah, and this happens in the film as we see a montage of uh, Republican Party operative William in Bimbo, Bimbo, (laughs) Bilbo, played by the always brilliant James Spader, who we've just talked about for a little while. Uh, he's out wheeling and dealing, trying to get the necessary votes for the 13th Amendment to pass. And it's a rare moment of levity in the score. And the instrumentation is so fun. It's basically a, a dance-like violin hoedown, or almost an Appalachian shirtsondo. And I'm sure the violinist had a blast performing it. And I think that was the Chicago Symphony Orchestra's first chair violinist, Robert Chen, but I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, And of course, speaking of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, I love that this was the orchestra they chose to record the score with. Right. I was about to say the exact same thing, because this isn't the normal orchestra that performs Williams scores most of the time. Right. It makes total sense. I mean, not only are they one of the premier orchestras in the world, but Lincoln's Illinois background almost demanded that it be recorded there. And that was uh, Spielberg's request, wasn't it? Wasn't he the one that suggested they recorded in Chicago? I'm not sure about that, but that sounds like something Spielberg would do. 
Yeah, I love it. I love the score. It's I, you know, you told me this was top five before we started recording, and I was like, can I say that? You know, and, and I'm thinking if we take out the obvious ones, like you said, you know, take out Indiana Jones, Star Wars, E.T., Superman. Uh, yeah, this has got to be up there. You know, this is the, the only other score of his that I can compare this to is The Patriot, uh, the uh, Roland Emmerich film that came out in the early 2000s in terms of tone. And that one's a little more heavy handed of a score. It's a little more kinetic. This is so thoughtful. This is almost like memoirs of a geisha level nuance, you know, uh, it's it's really, really well-crafted and very carefully balanced by John Williams. And I think a lesser composer, myself, for example, would have just, you know, piccolo flutes all over the place and marching drums and, you know, I don't know. This is a, it's a great score. It's a great listen outside of the film as well. And, and it's very sparsely utilized in the film itself. I mean, there's long stretches where there's no music, which I love uh, because it, you know, you really feel like you're there. You know, for the, the the way this film is presented to you, you really feel like you're witnessing history. You don't feel like you're watching a film about history. You really feel like you're there with the lighting and all that stuff. It's just, it's just perfectly nuanced and perfectly balanced. And again, hyperbole all over the place. But God, I love this score so much. It's very understated, isn't it, and subtle. And I think sometimes that's when Williams can can be at his best. I mean, he's great at action cues, obviously, and the big themes. But uh, if you also put into that list thing like Amistad or um, AI. He's very good when he's being subtle and just sort of slowly drifting underneath what's happening on the screen and not trying to draw your attention to it too much, but just making you feel things that you're not actually aware that he's making you feel. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah, I think every time he sort of highlights an instrument in the score, the instrument brings out sort of a different emotion, you know? So when the clarinet's featured, you may feel this, or when the the horn is featured, you might feel this. And I think he he sort of associates that pretty early on in the score. And so the whole rest of the movie, while you're listening and you're watching, you get sort of swayed one way or another, I guess you could say, depending on how he has scored that particular moment. It's a very sort of smart sort of manipulation and not like a cheap kind of manipulation. I think he's very smart with the way he scores this film in both the moments he chooses to score and how he scores those particular moments and then the moments he chooses not to score. I think the silence is just as impressive as the sound. I totally agree. You know, and I, and I can imagine because as a lot of us know, John Williams doesn't expose himself to any part of the process of filmmaking until they have a film to show him until they spot the movie. Right. That's always been his approach. So he can, he does that so he can react like we will, you know, he doesn't want to know what happens. He doesn't want to read a script. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want any of it until they sit down to spot the film. And then at that point, then he will begin, I, I think, uh, formulating what the DNA of his score is going to be. And you can tell in the music that he said, man, this is a score I really, I just have to, I just have to be very, very careful how I pick my battles in this, in this film, because this isn't a typical movie in the way it's presented to us, the audience. It's very much, Chad, you said it uh, much earlier in the episode, this is a window. I, you know, you really feel like you're, you're looking through a window in history and seeing this man and these situations and all these things. And if there was a more prominent film score, I'm not sure that that would have uh, benefited this film. I think it would have largely gotten in the way. And so I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. I'm, I'm so impressed with not only how he scores it when he does score it, but when he decides to not do anything, I think it's incredible. I think it's very well done by John Williams. And there's also some themes going underneath that as well. I mean, the track um, Father and Son is, again, another very understated one. And it's between him and Robert, but it's quite a short cue. 
But it, it's so beautiful. I think as a metaphor, it, it and this is going to sound very, very sort of highfalutin. I don't mean to, I apologise. But um, it almost speaks to the whole film as, to me, when watching it, Lincoln's cause was about seeing all Americans as sons to do right by and take care of. And he just couldn't find that connection with his own son, which bolstered him further on to try and do it for the Americans that he could help. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think he he even says, you know, I'm happy to see any man free. You know, I think the way he looks at the world is we're all born free. We're all born equal. Who's to say that this race of people is is uh, suddenly less than this other race of people? To him, it's very black and white, not to no pun intended at all. But, you know, it's a, it's very cut and dry. It's that simple. You know, no one should be uh, any less than anyone else. And that and that's absolutely true. And it's not ham-fisted in terms of how that that idea is presented but it's very you know uh, effectively told through his process throughout the whole film you can tell that's where he's coming from it, it's the right thing to do excellent so how about we go ahead and move on to relevance what it, what are the takeaways from this movie so obviously unlike anything we've talked about on this show so far this is real life this is a moment from history a window into history so what is the lesson here? What can we learn from this moment in history? Well, I think as an American, <laughs> um, you know, I'm ashamed that this is a chapter in our history we we even have to talk about. I'm sure I speak for a lot of Americans when I, I'm sure I speak for most Americans when I say that slavery was always a terrible thing. And, you know, Lincoln is propped up as a hero because he was the one who decided to end it, you know, to do what it took, you know, sort of I guess popular opinion be damned, you know, this is what I have to do. This is what my legacy is. Not even legacy. I don't even think the man cared about legacy. I think he just simply cared about doing the right thing as president. You hear him, you hear him even say it in, in that scene again where he's addressing his cabinet where he, he's basically telling them, I'm not sure if what I'm doing is legal or illegal. It may just be, you know, it basically just isn't downright criminal, <laughs> you know. So he's bending the rules. He's seizing the slaves as, uh, property from a warring nation, although the South isn't a nation. And then if he's saying that slaves aren't legally bound by the South, then how can he, you know, how can he seize them? And so I think the lesson here is, I guess if, if nothing else is that sometimes doing the right thing is not as black and white as doing the right thing. <laughs> you know, you do have to get a little dirty sometimes to do the right thing. And, and to me, that's the, that's the overlying theme of, of Lincoln. And I think it's about a, a duty to others and to your country. It's yeah. it's if you see something that you need to stand up for, if you, there's something that you believe in, then you need to do what it takes to follow that through and to see it through to completion. He saw that slavery was wrong and he saw that he needed to do what he could to bring peace to the country and to mend it as best he could. And so he was willing to do just about anything he could to make that happen, to get the votes, to to end the war, to free the slaves, whatever it was. It was, he saw that it was something that needed to be done. It was morally correct. It was morally right. And so he did what what he had to do in order to see it through to completion. And I love that the surrounding characters are are basically challenging him and saying, well, look, you're not really taking into account what's going to happen when millions of slaves are suddenly freed all at once. And, you know, in his mind, he goes, no, I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that we don't know what's going to happen. You know, if they're going to revolt against the people who enslave them, which, you know, hey, <laughs> who can almost blame them, right? I mean, you know, and I'm not saying that that's the way anybody should do anything, but but I just mean, 
it doesn't it almost doesn't matter what happens after you abolish slavery. The fact of the matter is he had a moral obligation to abolish it. It had to be done. It doesn't matter what happens afterward. And he, and he's more than willing to admit that to anyone who who confronts him on that. No, I don't know what's going to happen. I know what I hope happens, but it still needs to happen. These people are no less than we are. You know, it, it's it's a no-brainer. And I think that's, very, you know, and, and again, you have to get dirty sometimes to do the right thing. You have to go under the table and maybe make some shady deals, you know. And, and again, there's also the, the war that he also has an absolute uh, uh, obligation to end. He has to end the war. You know, there's no question. People have died People are dying daily, sons, brothers, you know, uh, they're being killed. And so uh, not only is he dealing with the 13th Amendment, he's dealing with ending the Civil War and bringing peace back to the nation and 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 bringing the South back to, uh, you know, the United States, essentially. And so I think that to me is the lesson learned, you know, uh, if you have a, if you if you have a moral obligation to do the right thing, you better do it. And it doesn't really matter how difficult it is to get there. You just need to the, the ends do justify the means in this film. Well, I just want to say, um, if I may, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, as a Brit sort of looking from the outside in, what I took away from this film, apart from loving every second of it, is that we still have much to learn as a human race, you know, even today. Yeah, progress has been made, but some of the same problems are still here. They just might be a little more hidden. And that's why stories like this are needed as a reminder, yes, it may be a film, maybe romanticised cinematically, but it's still based on fact. It's still based on a person in history who refused to accept inequality and uh, injustice. Um, alas, in the current political climate, and I'm not going to get into that, and there's some of the same problems I see in all countries all over the world. The haves trying to ignore or beat down the haves nots. But that's why you need films like this with stories about people like this that actually existed. Not like, not a Bruce Willis trying to take out a gang of terrorists because it's the right thing to do. A man that actually lived and fought tooth and nail to convince people that you may not agree with me, but it's the right thing to do. And I'm going to do what I can to make sure we do the right thing. It's like stories like this and people like this, whether they lived in the past, whether they're alive today, and hopefully we'll have loads more of them in the future, stories and people like this give me hope in humanity. And I know that sounds smaltzy, but uh, it's just w what I feel after watching this film again. Yeah, and for me, I mean, I'm an American, so it's hard to be objective, but I think you're looking at it the way I would think I would if I wasn't an American, is that, you know, yes, this is a story about America and an important time in America's history, but that doesn't mean other people who aren't Americans or who are on the outside can't walk away with these these same lessons. I mean, it's it's just about human decency and standing up for what you believe in. And um, if I may, I think Another sort of smaller lesson here is trying to find balance between your maybe work responsibilities and your family. It could be argued that Lincoln doesn't do the greatest job of that here, but you never doubt that he loves both his family and his country. And so I think that's a secondary theme or takeaway for sure. But um, finding time for everybody, finding time to lay down on the, the rug with your son and talk with him or to grieve with your wife over the loss of your son or, or whatever the situation may call for, find time to spend with your loved ones as well as what you find uh, yourself responsible for as far as work and other things like that go. Any other takeaways? 
None for me. <laughs> I, I think I stood on my soapbox long enough. <laughs> <laughs> I stood on mine longer. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts about the movie as a whole? Well, yeah, one thing I, I definitely want to mention um, is the filming. Uh, they actually filmed in Richmond, Fredericksburg, and Petersburg, Virginia. And they actually went to the Virginia State Capitol, and that served as the exterior and interior for the U.S. Capitol building and the exteriors of the White House. And it is so effective in this film in terms of what you're looking at. I'm not sure if the, I'm sure there was some CGI, you know, building extension done to some extent somewhere, but you don't see it. And it's absolutely the real deal. The AMF building stood in for the White House interiors, and that looks absolutely authentic because it's basically the same architecture and built in the same time period. So it's uh, it's just the filming locations, the cinematography, the the way this whole thing looked, I just have to say for the record, was possibly the most well done I've ever seen in any Spielberg film. And that's really saying something. Ian? That it really is saying something, Will. You've, uh, oh, blow me. You've set the bar very high. But I, I have to, I can't disagree with you. I mean, <laughs> there may, I mean, Jaws is my favorite film of all time, but that's another discussion. Um, I, I want to end I, on a positive note. There's not many laughs in this film, but one of the biggest laughs, most of them come from the spin doctor people, but, uh, I love when, uh, his son Robert is trying to convince his father that he should be allowed to go off to war. And he's just in that, in the, the dressing room and his, his younger brother there. And the younger brother has been wearing this, this uniform the entire time. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt as, as Robert just shouts after his father. So I'm going to be the only person under 15 and over 65 not wearing a uniform. And his brother just appears and goes, well, I'm under 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a total Spielberg moment. I think it's just that, that very, natural way dialogue would happen in that in that sort of moment um i was watching et last night and et's full of that kind of stuff where you know it doesn't feel scripted it just kind of feels like the kind of thing a little kid would say yeah that's great well for me final thoughts i think that this is my favorite spielberg film of the last 10 years granted i have not seen bridge of spies it's probably the only one i haven't oh, seen it's really yet good. you gotta see it really good yeah and I, I definitely want to so aside from that Warhorse, BFG, Tintin, all those movies are great and I love them all, but Lincoln just tops the list for me as far as at least the last 10 years go. I don't know where it would rank in my whole list of Spielberg films. That's a task I'm not willing to tackle right now, but um, it's just such a good movie. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It's, it's something that makes me feel a lot. It's so good. I love the focus. I'm always completely engrossed as I watch and I, I'm equally, if not more so, blown away by just Daniel Day-Lewis. This is just, I, I can't emphasize enough how outstanding his performance in this movie is. He is so good. Agreed. And I'm, I think I'm going to pull a U, and I'm going to say that this is in my top five uh, favorite Spielberg films. And I, and I don't really think I have to think about that too, too much. I think there's no question. It might even be top three at this point. I think it's such a masterpiece. And I think... It has, you know, again, it's got a, a fairly large rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but it, I, I don't hear people talking about it as much as I would think they would because it is such a monumental achievement, but not in a spectacle sense, just in terms of the storytelling, the, the way that basically a, a two and a half hour movie full of dialogue and, and political dialogue at that is able to captivate you for that length. It's such an accomplishment and this man is a genius. I, I just, I love his work, but this is, this is definitely a high watermark for, for him. It might, it might be his best film. I, I'm not, 
I'm not even kidding. I mean, I know Jaws is out there, E.T., Indiana Jones. I know that all that stuff's still out there, but this might be his greatest film ever. I, I just And no one's even mentioned Jurassic Park yet. Well, Jurassic Park's obvious, but but I just mean <laughs> this. Uh, I mean, this is. Oh, I know two totally different beasts. No pun intended. But I'm just going to say, if you if you loved Lincoln, I would really recommend going back and revisiting Amistad. That's a great film too. Yeah, but I wouldn't put it in the same uh, even even in the same area code as Lincoln. It's a great film, but it's. I mean, man, Lincoln is just such an achievement on every level: cinematography, acting, casting, <laughs> location shooting. Score. I mean, literally, it's it might be the most perfect film I've ever seen. Well, it's Spielberg's fault, really, isn't it? He shouldn't give us so many damn good films to choose from. I mean, how does he expect us to choose them? It's impossible. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few Spielberg films I, I would argue are perfect. I mean, certainly Raiders, you know, Jurassic Park is perfect. E.T. is perfect. Jaws is perfect. Uh, uh, that's not hyperbole. I really believe that <laughs> in terms of all those films. I think they're all perfect. I really can't find fault in any of them. Not that I'd be looking for them. Well, what Spielberg is good at is he's good at making the film that needs to be made. Exactly. And I think that could be said about just about any of his movies. And Lincoln is certainly no exception. He made the film that needed to be made, and it's a pretty darn good one. So uh, anything else to say, guys, before we wrap up? Not not for me. Uh, no, no, I, I, I think I'm spent. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, with that, that is the end of the official fifth episode of Cinescope. We made it to number five, and we've now gone international. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> remember, we can go, uh, you can find us on facebook.com slash Cinescope podcast or at Cinescope pod on Twitter. Please rate and review on iTunes. Help us get to that new and noteworthy page. And remember, you can email feedback and ideas to thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in co-hosting, if you're interested in talking about a movie that you love, whether everybody else loves it or it's just you, it doesn't matter. If you like a movie and you think you could talk about it, let me know and we'll get you on the show. Uh, Will, Ian, uh, how about Will? You go first. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Will underscore Dodson one. Okay, Ian. <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't know we were doing it in tandem. Uh, <laughs> I can I can also be found on Twitter at uh, Ian Crab, and that's spelled E Y U N C R A B B. And if you'd like to follow Sideshow, uh, we are at Sideshow Sound on Twitter. Our website is sideshowsoundtheater.com. Our email address is uh, at sideshowsound at gmail.com. And on Facebook, I believe we are just uh, Sideshow Sound Theater, spelled the British way with R E at the end. Yes. Yes, and I think we're definitely going to try and get Wendell on the show at some point, too. So, Yeah, I, I spoke with him last night. He's actually really excited to come on here. Yeah. Excellent. Well, for me personally, the best place is on Twitter at Chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, or on Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. All of the show notes, all of this contact information can be found at com. And that is all for this week. Thank you so much, Ian and Will. Having you two has... It's been awesome. I, I love having you guys on the show. Everybody, make sure you go check them out on Twitter. Check out Sideshow Sound Radio. It is an excellent podcast, series of podcasts, rather. And definitely just give them some love. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Well, thank you. It was such a blast. Oh, Chad, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to have you on our show uh, soon, it, it, just like this. Not uh, little clips, but actual, uh, <laughs> actually on the show with us. I look forward to it. Yeah, so you, you can actually insult me in free form then. <laughs> i look forward to it ian <laughs> thank you everyone for listening to episode five 
I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode six. Have fun and celebrate movies. Thank you.